As I've said before in other episodes, at Dispatch, you never know what's going to come in next. You might have someone calling in asking about a dispute about a bus ticket or an incorrectly prepared hamburger, and the next is someone calling because their baby stopped breathing. It's a never-ending roller coaster of calls and emotions. If I could predict what sort of call would come in next, well, I'd probably need to be in a different occupation completely. Today on this episode, I have a couple calls kind of like that. Calls that happen both frequently and hardly ever. They're both quite unique and tragic. One of which I can tell you that even in my decades fielding calls, I've never dealt with. Welcome back to another episode of Music City 911. The first incident we'll get into is something that was all over the headlines for several days. I'm sure that if you keep up with the news at all, that you've heard about this. It was seriously everywhere. But when we get a call like this, we have no idea about the details of what happened other than what the caller has given us. You'll understand more after the call. And is that a house, apartment, or a business? It's a house. I'm sure you're calling from. Is that correct? That is that is correct. What's the emergency there? A car just went through my neighbor's house. Okay. And very fast because it's like in the second room, and I don't we, we don't we don't know what okay. people are just clearing up the stuff here. So that the car went all the way into the house. Yes. Like 10 feet into the house. Is there anybody uh, pinned or trapped inside the vehicle? 
no. Are there any hazards like down power lines, vehicles on fire, anything like that? Not, no, no, not not immediate that I can see visually. Okay. Okay. Now, is it safe for you to get next to the patients? Somebody is doing that right now. It's okay. not because somebody's going there now. Was anyone thrown out of any of the vehicles? It doesn't look like it. It's got the flashes on. It's got the door open. We're making communication. And you, you said nobody's pinned or trapped. Somebody. Do we have everybody that was in that house accounted for? Everybody that was in the house is accounted for, yes. Okay. How about uh, everybody that was in the vehicle? Are they all accounted for? We don't know. We just make contact. Um, it, it, it looks somebody is opening the back to see if we can access because they're kind of trapped in the front door. Somebody's trapped by the car? Inside the car. Whoever was driving. They're trapped in the car? They're, they... Yeah, they get somebody real quick. We've got we've got lots of help already coming. A lot of help okay, on the way. You. Now, can you okay. safely get next to that person that's in the car? There might be host. Okay, I'm gonna get a host. It sounds like the person whoever's stressing that it might be okay. No, right now we're just thinking about water in the host. I don't know if my reach. You're getting a water hose. Is there something on fire there? There's smoke. Somebody smelled smoke. There's. Is, is the house on fire? No, no, not the house. Not the house. Somebody just smelled from the inside. Just water. Is the car on fire? Might have smelled water. It might be. I don't. I didn't see flames. Somebody just said get get water. Okay, let's let's go back and find out if that house is on fire. Okay. And then we need to find out about that other person that's in the car, whether he's trapped in the car or... Yeah, he's definitely trapped. Is he awake? Can you find out if the patient's awake? Is the patient, patient awake? Yeah, there's a fire. There's a fire, yeah. The house is on fire now? It's the car that's on fire in the house? There's a fire going in. There's smoke. Is there smoke or just fire? I mean, is there fire or just smoke? I, I, I smell, I smell, I smell, I smell but, but it's not on fire? It's just smoke? I don't see flames, I don't see flames, but there's a lot of smoke. There's a lot of smoke. There's a lot of smoke. Go this way. I don't know if it'll. I don't know if it'll reach. What part of the car is smoking? What What is smoking? Uh, it's a lot of smoking. It's taking off. It, it's um. So is the car catching on fire? Yes. Okay. In the house. Okay. Get everybody out of the house. Can you get that driver out of the car? No. Well. Is there anybody touching the car? Yes. If yes. there's somebody touching the car, yes. So, yes. 
So somebody is crashing the car. Okay, I'm going to stay on the phone with you. Okay. Is there anybody else inside? Just the person in the car? Just the person in the car is the only person inside. The black, the turn of smoke is turning really black. It's definitely on the ground. It's a big fire. It's a big fire. Okay. I see the fire truck just right here. Try and get the driver out of the car if we can. But I need you to stay in a safe location. Don't put yourself in any danger. Here comes the paramedic. Let me know when the fire department's there and taking care of the emergency. They're there now? Okay, they're going to take care of it. PD, I've got your numbers. Do you need ours? The address and phone number were redacted from this call. Of course, any agency will get traffic collisions every day. Most of them are non-emergency. Just a simple fender bender. Someone who was looking at their mobile phone and wasn't paying attention to the road and rear-end someone. No injuries at all, other than maybe a hurt wallet from your insurance going up. Then others, there will be injuries. Anything from minor scrapes and bruises up to critical and even fatal injuries. In Nashville, most days will have dozens if not hundreds of motor vehicle collisions. They're all too frequent. What we don't have very often is a car that hits a house. It does happen, just not very frequently. What's even more rare is a car that goes completely inside of a house. And then up it a bit more to a car that's inside of a house and is now on fire. Every bit of that screams more and more injuries. This car had to have been going an incredible amount of speed to have all this happen. Before anything else is talked about, man, this dispatcher was on it. He covered everything he could. I really like that he handled the safety aspects in regard to the caller. Saying things like, if it's safe to do so. Checking to see if everyone inside the house was accounted for. Asking about the driver. Every possibility, he was on it. He did a great job. But at the same time, as a dispatcher, you're in kind of a rough spot in something like this. Generally, if you have a wreck with injuries, you tell the caller to have the patient remain still. They don't need to move around or try to get up or anything like that. Just have them stay where they're at. The reasons for this is movement could compound any injuries that have been sustained by the patient. Imagine that that person had a broken neck or back and they were moved. That could go from a treatable injury to a life-changing case of paralysis. They may never walk or function again. The rough spot I was talking about with the dispatcher, towards the end of the call, we hear that the car is on fire. So as a dispatcher, you're now in a position of having to decide if the patient is going to risk further injury or death because of the fire possibly completely engulfing the car with them inside of it. On top of that, if the patient is unable to exit the vehicle themselves, asking the caller to get them out of the vehicle is also a double-edged sword. In general, 
we're always taught to never create more victims. This situation potentially does just that. Do we leave the person in there to burn up? Or do we ask the caller or any other bystander to try to get them out of the car? The closest firefighter may be minutes away, and by the time they get there, it could be too late. This is one of those when-seconds-count moments. And truth be told, there's no good answer for this because there are so many problems that can arise from it. But covering it by saying if it's safe to do so, you relinquish a bit of that to the caller. You as a dispatcher, you're not on the scene. You don't know the severity of anything really past what they've told you. That person inside the car may not be harmed at all and could walk out. Or they could be completely unconscious and trapped inside the vehicle enough that extrication equipment would have to be used. This call was the collision that involved the actress Anne Heche. This happened just a little over two weeks ago on August 5th in Los Angeles. She had a number of injuries that ultimately ended in her death. The coroner's office of Los Angeles said her cause of death was inhalation and thermal injuries. She also suffered a sternal fracture due to blunt trauma, which could have happened when her chest hit the steering wheel. The thermal injuries were severe burns. Her car drove through a wall and then 30 feet inside of a house. It took 59 firefighters a total of 65 minutes to get the fire out and rescue her. She became unconscious during this and inhaled a lot of smoke. When responders got her out and onto a stretcher, they moved her out and towards the ambulance where at one point, as captured by a news helicopter, the actress suddenly woke up and sat completely straight up. After being transported, they got her to a hospital and she fell into a coma and because of the inhalation and other injuries, she had to be put on a ventilator. On August 11th, six days after the crash, she was determined to be brain dead. She was an organ donor, and at that point she was kept on life support while potential recipients were found. On August 14th, she had the organ donation surgery performed and then was taken off life support. If this was all just a tragic accident... That would be one thing, but there was a lot that led up to this. An early blood sample was taken to determine she was under the influence of cocaine and other narcotics, including fentanyl. Before the crash that ultimately took her life happened, there was more. Hayes was driving a Mini Clubman, which is a slightly larger four-door model of the Mini Cooper. She had been in a hair and makeup salon in Venice called the Glass Hair Salon just before all this happened. Once she left there, she traveled down a back alley and ran her car into the corner of her garage. A witness recorded a bit of video from that on their phone where a passerby stopped with her trying to tell her to get out of the car. You can hear the man there repeatedly saying, out of the car, and you can faintly hear her saying, no. 
She then reversed the car from where she impacted the garage and drove up the alley at a high rate of speed, as you could hear when she was peeling off in that last clip. On her way exiting the alley, some surveillance video showed her coming within a couple of feet of hitting a pedestrian. There was no audio available for that one. Directly after that, she collided with another car, a Jaguar, and then again, she didn't stop and left the scene of the accident. No one in the Jaguar was harmed. Later on, a couple different ring doorbell cameras caught her driving at a very high rate of speed down a residential street. I don't know if anyone has an estimate of how fast she was going, but generally in a residential neighborhood, the speed limit is 30 miles per hour. She was going well in excess of that, likely more than double, if not triple that. At the end of that last clip, we hear the crash that finally stopped her vehicle. Anne Hayes acted in dozens of movies and TV shows, including the soap opera, Another World, movies, Donnie Brasco, I Know What You Did Last Summer, and Volcano, as well as recently, she was contested on the TV show Dancing with Stars. She was 53 years old. 911, what's that? Said emergency. Hey, this is Raleigh Wake. Hey, what's so, up? I've, I've got a call for you. Okay. <laughs> so, RDU, Air Traffic Control, FAA, just called. Uh-huh. And advised they had a they had a small plane inbound and the co-pilot jumped out. The co-pilot jumped out. Yes. Where? Um, they are putting it in the area about a one mile radius of West Lake Middle School. Okay. Um. They do not have the description of the person that jumped out yet. The plane is still. It's actually. I think it just landed. We just heard it over the radio. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have the gentleman's number over at FAA, name and number if you want to call, because they're hoping once the pilot lands they can actually talk to him and get further. Okay, okay. Uh, I'm just putting some notes in here. Hang on one sec. Yeah, no problem. Okay, so um, let's see here. I jumped out. He said one square mile near Westlake Middle. Yeah, they're saying about a mile radius of Westlake Middle School. Okay. Okay. Do we have any kind of uh, phone number for our contact information for this person? Yeah. Okay. Do we know any have any details on the uh, co-pilot? No, I don't know anything. He, they were he okay. was in the process of uh, landing, and then Temple. Um, they they actually said, "Well, we, if you give us about ten minutes or so, call us back, and we'll have, we'll be able to be talking to him at that point in time." Okay, I uh, will give call back then, just as soon as we can. I appreciate it. All right, thanks, man. Thanks. Bye. As I said in the opening of the episode, 
something that even I haven't dealt with before. Something like this turns out to be a huge deal for a number of reasons, but before we get into those, there are a couple more calls I have to play that'll give a little bit more insight into this. Airport emergency. Hey, this is Care Police Department. Yeah. Hey, did you have did you have someone from that plane jump out? No, well, no. no. Both of them got out of the aircraft. Oh, right, I got it from the You FBA. mean like parachuted out? Yeah, yeah. No. Or, no. Okay, we're trying because I guess we're getting a call from Raleigh. No. Okay. Well, well, I guess we'll call you back if we find out anything different. Okay. Thank you. Obviously, something like this, there is a level of confusion involved. The first call didn't say a thing about if this was someone who was skydiving or if it was something else. Even the people at the airport this early on are unsure about what happened. The pilot hasn't been questioned fully to see what it was that occurred. Another call was placed. Probably approach. Hi. Yes. Hey, this is uh, Carrie 911. Hey, Kay. How's it going? Good. Hey, Raleigh uh, referred to call to us about the person that jumped out of the plane. Yes. Do, uh, what, uh, do you have any further information on him? Sorry, I was listening to somebody else was in my ear. Say again? Yeah, no problem. So, uh, Raleigh referred to call to us because the area where the person jumped out or fell out of the plane was near uh, near a school that's in our jurisdiction. Yes. Do you have any uh, identifying information for that subject? Listen, all we know is uh, when the pilot reported it, we looked at the latitude, longitude, and it okay. was roughly over the Westlake Middle School okay. general area where they said that the, the person left the aircraft. We're not sure exactly where, but it's kind of that area. Okay. Do we know if this is going to be a uh, – do we know who we're looking for? I don't have any details right now, but uh, the pilot said that um, – I mean, they are very sh- shaken up and said right. no, they did uh, not have a parachute on. <laughs> okay. So. Um, okay. Well, I tell you what, I'm going to give you a number to call us back when, whenever you have some more detail. Okay. Uh, stand by. This is Carrie 911. Go ahead. Call you back when we have more information. Okay. Thank you, sir. We're going we're to go ahead and put a call in. Okay. Thank you. This point is still very much in the info gathering stage. There's a wide range of area that this person could be in. We don't know if he's parachuted. We don't know if he jumped out or if he fell out. We don't know really anything at all at this point. We're just trying to find out stuff. And there's a lot more that goes into it once we actually get crews started that way because you have such a huge area to search. But more calls. I'm on. What is the address of your emergency? Hey, this is from uh, RDU Communications. Yes, sir. Somebody called, said about one person ejected off the plane. Yes, sir. It is confirmed. Do we have a location where somebody's seen this person? I don't believe so. Give me just a second. Let me put your note in and then check my notes, okay? Okay. I know we have a call taker on the line with FAA, and they have a general location. Okay. We heard something about a middle school. 
Yes, sir. They're assuming it's within about a one-mile radius of Westlake Middle School, so we have units headed out there to look. But we haven't gotten any information that anyone has eyes on the subject that jumped. We just had the FSA give us the information. Okay. Okay. Somebody from your department called and asked me, and at that time we did not know about it. Now we do know about it. So yeah. if you do hear any more, let me know, okay? Absolutely. Do you guys have access to TRICOM? We do. Yeah, they'll, they'll be on there too. Okay. Okay, thanks. Thank you. Bye-bye. So now they've confirmed that this person has, in fact, jumped. This is not some sort of a hoax or anything like that. It actually happened. And they did use the term jumped. So we can at least eliminate the possibility of this being some sort of an accident. Carrie, please, how can I help you? Yeah, hi, this is Raleigh uh, Airport. I have more information. Go ahead, sir. I have a description of the uh, person that we're looking for. Okay. That's a 27-year-old white male. He's five foot ten, with black hair, black shirt, and tan shorts. Do we know his name? What was his name? Uh, they did. Oh man, they did not give a name. That's okay. If you get it, give us a call back. So we've got a 27-year-old white male, five ten, black hair, black shirt, tan shorts. Correct. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. That was the last of the phone calls that were exchanged about this. This all happened on July 29th this year, just after 2 p.m. in North Carolina. Search crews were sent to look in the area that was mentioned and found the co-pilot in the backyard of a residence. What happened before all this, I'll just have to read portions of from the actual aviation accident report from the National Transportation Safety Board because I have very little knowledge of aviation and I don't want to misquote anything. On July 29, 2022, about 14.04 Eastern Daylight Time, a CASA 212-200 was substantially damaged when it was involved in an accident near Rayford, North Carolina. The pilot in command was not injured and the second in command sustained fatal injuries during the subsequent diversion to the Raleigh-Durham International Airport in North Carolina. The airplane was operated as a Title 14 Code of Federal Regulations Part 91 skydiving flight. The pilot in command reported that they flew two skydiving runs, then descended to the Rayford West Airport to pick up a third group of skydivers. The second in command was flying their approach and was on heading altitude and airspeed until the airplane descended below the tree line and dropped. Both pilots called for a go-around maneuver, which the second-in-command, the co-pilot, initiated. However, before the co-pilot could arrest the airplane's sink rate and initiate a climb, the right main landing gear impacted the runway surface. The pilot-in-command assumed the flight controls upon the airplane reaching 400 feet then flew a low approach to have airfield personnel verify the damage. The personnel subsequently called the pilot in command to let him know that they had recovered a fractured landing gear on the runway. The pilot in command directed the second in command 
to declare an emergency and request a diversion to Raleigh-Durham for landing. While en route, the crew coordinated with air traffic control operations and their customer and planned their approach landing at Raleigh-Durham with the second in command responsible for communicating with air traffic control while the pilot flew the airplane. The pilot reported that there was moderate turbulence during the flight and that about 20 minutes into the diversion to Raleigh-Durham after conducting approach and emergency briefings, the second in command, the co-pilot, became visibly upset about the hard landing they had done. The pilot in command described that about this time, the second in command opened his side cockpit window and may have gotten sick. The pilot in command took over radio communications and the second in command lowered the ramp in the back of the airplane, indicating that he felt like he was going to be sick and needed air. The pilot in command stated that the second in command then got up from his seat, removed his headset, apologized, and then departed the airplane via the aft wrapped door. The pilot stated that there was a bar that one could have grabbed hold of about six feet above the ramp. However, he did not witness the co-pilot grab this bar before exiting the plane. The pilot then turned the airplane to the right to search for the co-pilot. In a radio transmission to air traffic control, about a minute and a half after the second command's radio acknowledgement of the plane's course heading, the pilot in command notified air traffic control that his co-pilot had departed the airplane without a parachute. The pilot proceeded on course to Raleigh-Durham, where he performed a low approach and then emergency landing. Upon landing, the airplane departed the right side of the runway and came to rest upright in the grass. Post-accident examination of the airplane revealed substantial damage to the landing gear, the landing gear fittings, and the airframe structure where the fittings attached. The co-pilot was identified as Charles Crooks. He was only 23 years old. There's no definitive information regarding whether this was a suicide or an accident. With all the various safety measures, including that bar that they talked about, it's hard to think that it was an accident, but it still could have been. Regardless, this was incredibly tragic for everyone involved. The pilot was obviously shaken by this and had to perform essentially a crash landing by himself after his co-pilot had just jumped out of a plane. The search crews had to look for well over a half hour before he was found in that backyard, and I'm sure that wasn't something anyone wants to see. My thoughts go out to everyone involved in this, and I hope they all get a speedy mental recovery from it. That's it for this episode. For even more on the last incident I discussed, head over to Patreon.com and sign up to be a member there, where you'll get 35 minutes of uncut fire and rescue radio traffic from where they conducted the search and recovery. Also, Patreon members, be on the lookout in the next few days for another mini-episode exclusive to only you. Follow the show on all social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok, and a big announcement, or at least big for me, even though I'm generally a sort of a techie person, some of the new ways of the World Wide Web and designing web pages have been something I've been completely unfamiliar with. But having spent a good chunk of my weekend on it, Music City 911 has got a web page back up and running. On this page, you can listen to episodes, find out a bit more about me, leave me an email, and most importantly, 
it has a direct link to the merch store, which is now back up and running as well. There you'll find the Y'all Have a Goodin' and official Music City 911 logoed items like t-shirts, tank tops, hoodies, and other items like pint glasses, blankets, and wine tumblers, and a new special item. A small voice clip of Y'all Have a Goodin' that can be used as a text message notification on your telephone. Anything purchased goes a long way to helping out keep the show afloat with equipment upgrades and hosting fees and such. And if you're feeling just generous and would like to help quench the thirst of the host of this show, on the website, you can buy me a beer. I say buy me a beer mainly because I hear on other shows they're telling people to buy them a coffee. I don't drink coffee. I'd much prefer the beer. That option is simply a one-time donation that you can make in any amount you want. It's also greatly appreciated. The website address, musiccity911.com. Well, until next time, for Music City 911, I'm Brandon, and y'all have a good one.